everyone. This is Evan with the Stride Power Podcast. Thanks again for tuning into another episode. This is episode seven, and today I am joined by great, awesome coach Jim Vance. Jim, how are you doing today? Wonderful, wonderful. How are you? I am good. Uh, we were just talking about how nice the weather is in California and how not nice the weather is in Boulder, but I'm excited to uh, get get to talk to you today um, about all things running power, training with power, post-run analysis. Uh, for the people that might not know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe your own personal athletic career, and then maybe a little bit about uh, how, how you coach people and how you got into coaching? Sure. Um, so, yes, I, I'm probably most known to your audience potentially as uh, the author of Run With Power, mm-hmm. which was the first book on uh, power meters for running. Uh, it was new technology uh, when I wrote that, extremely new. Uh, Stride wasn't even a foot pod back then. <laughs> so, uh, very different. Uh, uh, I'm the guy that had to learn and figure out and, and then make it, you know, usable uh, for uh, at least in layman terms for our most runners mm-hmm. uh, market. So, um, so that's probably what I'm most famous for. I coach a number of athletes. Uh, probably my most famous athlete is Ben Canute. Um, and, you know, just one Oceanside 70.3 and mm-hmm. uh, Olympian. So I have a number of other athletes, coach a lot of Ironman age groupers. Uh, in fact, I had five Ironman age groupers last year that all finished in the top five in their age group that all used run power and said that it, uh, it was, uh, it was a, you know, godsend. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of probably the most known for also had a book called triathlon 2.0, which is about using technology before run powers actually, actually mm-hmm. came about, but mostly like, uh, you know, power meters on bike and heart rate monitors to coach yourself for 70.3 and iron. Mm-hmm. So, based on your age, your gender, and your goals. So that's, those are probably my two bigger, the biggest books that I put out. Um, my background and how I got into coaching, well, I was a high school distance runner, went on to the University of Nebraska, was a cross-country runner, uh, all district on, you know, was a scoring runner, a team that ended up finishing seventh at the NCAA championships in cross-country. Um in fact, I want to say in 96, we lost to CU Boulder at the Big 12 Championships by like, oh, man, we got second. And it was, man, uh, it was just a couple of points. And I got yeah. passed by two All-Americans from Colorado in the last like 500 meters. And I was like, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I'm not the biggest Boulder fan. But, that's <laughs> but uh, uh, no, so – yeah, I got out of that, got moved to San Diego out of college not long after graduating, kind of got thrown into triathlon, uh, had a lot of success in it right away uh, at the Olympic Training Center. I won two age group world titles, was at the Olympic Training Center, uh, thinking I was going to go for the Olympic trials, had a calf injury, couldn't do much intensive running. So I was like, well, I can run long and easy, so I'll go do this Ironman. And then my first one, I got third Ironman Florida. And that was uh, 2006 and uh, then just became an Ironman triathlete along the way. I was, before I did that, I was a school teacher. So I kind of had this teaching background Mm -hmm. and then being at the forefront of the sport, highest level, new technology was just starting to come in. Things were starting to come up, uh, you know, analytics platforms, power meters for cycling were really starting, you know, GPS was becoming big at the time. Um, so I was, uh, you know, learning all about this technology and having success. People wanted to kind of learn about my success. So I started 
you know, took the natural evolution from teaching into coaching. And, and so, yeah, so now, now I'm a big, you know, as much as I'm a technology guy, I think a lot of people would be surprised to know that I'm as much of like a subjective wellness um, coach. Uh, I really want to know how my athletes are feeling. Um, to give you an example, you know, I can say, well, you need, you need one day of recovery from this workout. Well, that may be all fine and good if everything happens in a vacuum, but life doesn't tend to happen that way. So, you know, one athlete might, might have the next day off from, from a workout, even from work. Mm -hmm. And the next one might be on an all night shift with stress and have to travel. So all of a sudden, you know, or even the same athlete. You know, so what they need from recovery from what you think is one workout becomes one day for one time, might be two days for another. And you just, you don't know those things um, unless you're actually getting that feedback from athletes. So um, I've been a big proponent of today's plan uh, for that, uh, you know, the platform, new platform that's out. So, and that's, the, that's really changed the game for me in coaching because I like to say that my athletes have uh, my daily training attention. So I like, I know when, Hey, this workout's not going well, they wake up and they feel bad and okay. Did we expect that? Did we not expect that? Let's change according to things. Are, are we seeing the improvements consistently that we want to see uh, from the data, but also based on how the athlete feels, how does the athlete feel about training? How do they feel? Are they excited to train? Are, are they, do they rate their performances high? And if that's the case, then, you know, chances are they're going to show up to the line healthy, uh, fresh, um, and excited to race and confident in their ability to perform. And to me, once, once you have that, you're golden. Like you're going to, you're never going to be a perfect athlete. You're all, every athlete has weaknesses, but you know, showing up at the start line with a true belief that you can overcome your weaknesses to me is, is the, is the, you know, the, is gold and that's what you need on the start line. So that's kind of my coaching philosophy and approach. It's, it's definitely uh, data centric, but with a holistic viewpoint of what we want to accomplish with the whole athlete. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a great blend in terms of, you know, so many people can take advantage of these modern breakthroughs in technology, whether that's, you know, heart rate variability monitors, or, you know, you have these uh, monitors that can uh, take a sample of your blood and tell you certain metrics and stuff. But then when it comes down to it, you talk about if somebody wakes up in the morning, they don't feel good. You would have to balance all these certain things. And um, the thing that I want to ask about you, you kind of got into it, but your, your coaching philosophy, your, your coaching beliefs, um, you can adopt all this new technology, but when it comes down to it, uh, having somebody that can give you this feedback from a coaching side is different than just printing out a piece of paper and following a training plan that you found somewhere on the internet. Um, yeah. So if, and I, I talked to coach Andy Dubois last week for the, for the podcast and I asked him a similar line of question, but I love to hear the different answers from different coaches because everybody has, again, that different philosophy. But if somebody is looking for a coach or interested in a coach, what do you kind of recommend the kind of uh, line of reasoning that they might go down in terms of, is this coach right for me? Or do I actually need a coach right now? Or what might be the benefits of having a coach? Um, you, you kind of mentioned having that person that can kind of check, you know, check in with and everything, but are there any other factors that you like to, people to maybe consider if they're looking to, to, to get a coach? Well, I think the first thing, if do you need a coach? Well, mm -hmm. If you're consistently battling injury, then yes, you need a coach. 
if you're not improving, then you need a coach. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, if you're if you're open to new ideas and a new approach, then then you can get a coach. Mm-hmm. If you're not open to new ideas, and plenty of people will say that they are, and then they'll come to a coach, they'll hire hire them, and then they'll be like, I don't like this, and you know, or they'll change the they'll change the plan along the way. You know, that's. Well, I like athletes who are committed to the plan and stick to the plan and, and they're not, uh, I'm not busy. Uh, you know, I'm not busy spending all my time fixing them, screwing up the plan. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, I'm a big, I'll give you a perfect example. I'm a big run walk believer mm-hmm. and I was never a run walk believer for the longest time. And then after that, it became a, uh, it became a, a thing where I'm like, okay, I need to try this cause I'm getting old myself and I'm starting to have these potential injuries. Mm-hmm. So, so with that, I was, um, I was really looking at trying to say, okay, what can I do to be more consistent in my training? And I looked at this and we were using this with some of our elite triathletes and lo and behold, I went out and started using it and suddenly I was healthy for a lot longer running four minute run, one minute walk. And I, just straight off the couch. I was not hurt, injured sort of straight away after an hour run right off the couch. And then I started really using this a lot more in my training for all my athletes. And it's amazing how 90% of all my injuries went away. Not over 90%. Suddenly my athletes are more consistent. Now they were able to handle a load of everything better. And then that got me to look more into what are some of the other ways that I can reduce the, the risk of training and still, still have it, you know, still, still see the response and, you know, like using the data from, from all my different devices with different, you know, like with multi-sport athletes, mm-hmm. you know, to really see, okay, are we continuously improving in all phases or close to it? So, so that's, that's a lot of, of my approach with it. And, you know, I think, I think if athletes are open to that type of new approach and, and, and I think athletes, so many athletes say, yes, that sounds great. That's what I want. But if they, if they have some core beliefs generally in their approach or habits that, that are difficult to change for some athletes. So mm-hmm. some athletes are, are married to data. Some people, some athletes are afraid of data. Mm-hmm. Um, some athletes you, you gotta have, you gotta have some serious conversations with about, uh, self-sabotage. Um, sometimes the, you know, Hey, life's stressful. So I'm skipping my workout. It's like, actually, that's probably the one time you really needed to work out, you know, to help you get over that stress and not derail your training even further. So, you know, there's, uh, you know, so you ask is, you know, who's a fit, uh, certainly, you know, do you need a coach? I think absolutely. If training's not going well, if you're not performing at a level that you want, if you're, if you're stuck at a plateau, Mm-hmm. Then, you know, I recently went back to swimming, um, here and as I'm preparing for escape from Alcatraz triathlon this year, my first triathlon in a long term, my second one in many, many years. Um, and it's funny, I go back to the pool and it's the same athletes in the same lanes from when I was there years ago. And I'm like, man, have you people not improved? Like, mm-hmm. this is crazy. <laughs> so you know, whereas me, and it's like, okay, I'm starting in this lane now, I'm in this lane now, I'm about two lanes up from where I was just a few weeks ago. It's like the improvements there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think some athletes, they just get into routine. So if you're a routine style athlete, then, 
you know, I'm not sure that coach is going to do much for you. Uh, but of course, I don't know that much technology is going to do much for you because you're probably, if you're not improving, the, the data is just going to show you that you're not improving. Mm-hmm. So, and if you're okay with that, then, you know, which is fine. Some people are, Hey, I just want to go out, live a lifestyle, stay healthy, and, you know, and do that. But, but once your goals start to increase, um, you, you know, now, now you've got to get training, right? Mm-hmm. The margin yeah, I, of errors decreases. Totally. Um, I wanted to hit on two points there. Cause I think, uh, both of them could probably be separate podcasts of their own. Um, you mentioned, an athlete improving and how a coach might look at data and see an athlete's improving or somebody that doesn't have a coach might be able to identify that they're improving and also run walk. I want to talk about the uh, improving factor first. Um, Let's say somebody doesn't have a coach. All they are used to seeing of how they're improving is their race results. They, They run a race every month, every two months, and they just assume if I can cover this certain distance faster, that means I'm improving. Can you give any insights or maybe touch a little bit on how you might look to see if people are improving either day to day, week to week, month to month, um, considering racing, but then also just considering the training. Cause you, you know, spend 99.999% of your time training rather than racing. How do you monitor some basic improvements in training? Well, I think the majority of your listeners are probably, you know, doing road races or trail races. So course to course, you know, it can be very difficult in terms of monitoring for for performance improvements. I mean, yes, you can say, well, these have pretty much equivalent type of, you know, course, you know, um, elevation profiles. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, maybe. But, you know, we look at, uh, we look at uh, power held in a race, run power. That's definitely one of the things I, I try to look at mm-hmm. a lot. Um, average power, adjusted normalized powers. The, those types of values uh, from race to race. Um, you know, it, every year, um, with like with my athletes, it's like, especially in like 70.3 racing, we, you know, my goal is, okay, this year, you know, we're running at this power uh, off the bike. That's our goal. And the next year, we want to train better and be able to hold five watts higher, mm-hmm. five and watts higher. Um, you know, and now, because even sometimes in triathlon, you know, I love the sport, but let's be honest, the courses aren't always accurate. So, whereas, you know, I think in some of your straight up running races, they tend to, you know, course accuracy tends to be a bit more, uh, a bit more consistent. So I think, I think from, from the perspective of looking at, looking at performance, you've got to be able to measure, you need some sort of continuity. And in the past pace has been the only thing. So certainly power, power has really helped show some of that. And, you know, and even conditions can be different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, wind, um, you know, those types of things. So, uh, you know, the heat, humidity. So the ability to, to show like, okay, well, you know, I held, I held this Watts versus those Watts, uh, on the run certainly is helpful, but, um, I can't remember your other question. Yeah. So, um, I guess just improvements in training. Is there anything like week to week that you might be able to tell if somebody's improving, uh, through training? Sure. Well, I, I'm a big believer too in progression of workouts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think one of the reasons so many athletes deal with injury is they'll 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 go straight to the workout that they think is is the key workout mm-hmm. that's going to prepare them for a race, and they'll jump right to it. 
And, and that's generally where injuries happen. So let's say you, you want to run a 5K. Well, then, okay, I'm going to get on the track and I'm going to run, you know, 12 400s with 30 seconds rest at goal pace. And it's like, no, start with six, then do eight, then do 10, you know, and, and, and work and build into that, you know, or, you know, some people believe it should be 15 or 14 and or 16 400s on, on uh, 45 seconds rest at goal pace I've heard. Mm-hmm. So if you're jumping right to the track, well, you know, that's where athletes just tend to get injured. It's too much too soon. Mm-hmm. So that progression of workouts, you know, you, 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 this is where you don't necessarily need a power meter to tell you, especially if you're using the track sometimes. Um, but it can, it can certainly help. Um, you know, you, you start to see, okay, if I did six this week at, at pace, can I do eight next week at pace mm-hmm. or even half a second faster on average? So yes, I've increased the, increased the, the, the number, but I've also even gone a little bit faster mm-hmm. on the same rest. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, maybe you start with, if you feel like, no, I'm, I'm ready to go to the track and do 10 of those right away. Okay. We'll start with 10 at one minute rest, then come back the next week and do it at 45 seconds rest, mm-hmm. then come back and do it at 30 seconds rest. Mm-hmm. See how you do. So I'm a big believer in those progressions. So, you know, it's easy. It's also easy then to see, to see the, um, you know, the, the, the progress. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, it, it makes the, the short-term goals of, of training manageable. Like, okay, yeah, I can, I can do six. That's not a problem. Okay. Eight. Well, I did six successfully. So now I think I can do eight. Whereas if you go to the track and 12 is the first time you're going to do it and the workout goes to hell at number eight. Well, now your confidence is shot. You're not prepared. You realize, Oh, I'm so far behind. It's like, it's, you were just impatient. Mm-hmm. Got to work towards it. Yeah. You take your time. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, the the second question, uh, different than the improving question, was talking about run walk, and you mentioned how uh, maybe people might have to throw their humility out the window and just say like, "Oh, I'm so used to, you know, just running straight through. I will never stop unless you have to stop at a stoplight or stop to use the restroom or get a drink of water." But you talk about personally coming off the couch and then being able to, you know, run four minutes, walk one minute. What is uh, maybe your uh, reasoning to use run, walk? You, you mentioned the reduction of injury risk and stuff, but can you talk a little bit more about run, walk and how it might fit into somebody's program if they're questioning it? Sure. Well, I think I always poo-pooed it myself mm-hmm. for a very long time. You know, I thought it was just a Jeff Galloway type of way to sell sell things to, you know, to moms who want to lose, lose weight, you know, that type thing, you know, or, you know, older, older folks that just want to have a lifestyle and, Oh, Hey, yeah, I'm training for a 10 K and look at me, you know, it's so, so I really pooped the idea for a long time. And then, uh, Bobby McGee, who, who's a big mentor of mine, uh, he, he's one, he started to encourage me to do it. And finally I did it on myself. And like I say, I was amazed. And then, you know, I think, I think part of the problem though, athletes and even some coaches think, well, run walk is just for easy jobs. It's like, no, you can have a very hard workout that has walk breaks in it. And athletes probably don't realize, but chances are they do that at the track anyway. Right. You know, so why is it good enough on the track, but not good enough out on the road? Mm-hmm. Um, when I have athletes first start this cycle, they tend to believe that uh, 
you know, this is, this is a waste. I could, I could spend this minute running. Um, and then suddenly they, after a few weeks, they start realizing, you know, I'm, I'm running about as fast for the same pace overall, even with the walk breaks as I ran when I was not walking. Mm-hmm. They're like, wow. I'm like, yeah, that's because now you're actually running faster when you run. So you're not breaking down in form, which means you're not putting stress on other areas of the body, you know, structurally, you know, musculoskeletal, you know, that to potentially, you know, cause more injuries. Mm -hmm. Um, So all this is helping. And so now you're having more successful runs. You run in a lot of hot environments too. That walk helps cool the body temperature down. So now you're more successful with training. Mm -hmm. If you really do the math, and I'm not saying every run needs to be 4-1. Um, but I certainly don't believe when an athlete needs a recovery day and you still want them to run that they get more out of 40 minutes straight running than they do 40 minutes as a four one. Mm-hmm. It, the, the goal is the same. They're losing, they're, yeah, they're losing 20% of the total of the total time under stress, but they're still probably getting most of the benefits. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and they might even actually be able to do a longer run, say an hour at four one rather than a 40 minute straight run. So now a little more time on their feet, but a little more recovery, uh, and therefore potentially better success. But, you know, I'll do nine one, I'll do seven one, I'll do, uh, you know, um, you know, 14 one at times. Uh, I know Cliff English is a guy who told me on some of his long runs for some of his Ironman athletes, he would do 12, three, 12 minute run, three minute walk. And I was like, Oh, three minutes, a long time, but you know, you can't argue with Cliff's success. He's had, he's touched, you know, multiple Ironman, uh, you know, world-class performances. So, um, yeah. So, and you know, I, I think, I think the, it allows you to, to get creative. You know, I have so many runs that are like, okay, we're going to do a five minutes or, you know, six, seven minute sequence. And it's, you know, if, let's say, let's take a seven, one, you're going to two minutes, easy jog, you know, two minutes as, uh, as 30 seconds fast, 30 seconds easy. And then, uh, you know, three minutes build mm-hmm. and now one minute walk. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and now, you know, you're getting a lot of variance just within that run. It maybe makes the run go by a little better. You're working on a lot of different things, working on pacing, some turnover work, you're still getting in some easy recovery. And you can do those on days where, you know, you just want to be a little more careful. Okay. What are we really you know, are we ready for necessarily a hard run? You know, I think we all run into those gray areas, right? Where training, we know that we're, we're tired and, but, and the next hard workout is like three days away. So do we want to take two full light days? Do we really need that? Maybe what can we inject in here? And, mm-hmm. you know, those are that identifies where athletes maybe get training wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, they maybe overload those where this is the perfect time to inject some run walk and say, Hey, here we go. Mm-hmm. And, and I say run walk, but that doesn't mean every run that my athletes do has walk in it, but I would say 80% of the runs have, have walk breaks in, inserted and injected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, I think, you know, you, you mentioned the Jeff Galloway plan about how people that maybe somebody thinks that run walk is just for somebody getting started, but obviously, you know, you can use it to success with the reasons that you just provided. So I think that's great. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the, the, the book you wrote run with power. And we did a episode, uh, a, a couple episodes ago, um, just about, you know, kind of the, the little main points about why a running power meter might be useful to you. I think you originally had 14 reasons 
why and like a summary of it. Um, and we condense it down a tiny little bit. Um, what was for you the main reasoning for starting to introduce uh, running with power to people? Because you mentioned how, you know, bike power meters uh, around, you know, the early 2000s had been, you know, started to get more and more popular, more and more accepted. And now that's gospel. And that's the only thing that people use on a bike. But for running power, it needs that same sort of introduction. So how did you initially approach the subject and what was your overall reasoning behind putting that resource together for people? Well, it's funny. I, I recall, geez, it was years, years ago, probably somewhere around like 2009. Um, I wrote on a blog on my blog that when power meters get put in shoes, you know, the game will change. Every world record will fall eventually, you know, with that technology. Mm -hmm. And I just talked about how much better of a metric it was, you know, and the things that we'll learn that we can't even know right now. Um, and so, you know, as, as running power becomes more adopted, I think you're, you'll continue to see that. Um, I know, you know, like a guy like Steve Palladino's, you know, he's, he's a coach who's fully embraced it and he's coaching some very good runners, some very good performances, you know, strictly based on power. Mm -hmm. um, so he's able to, you know, get pacing correct with his athletes. Um, you know, and I've, I, like I mentioned earlier in this, in this podcast that, uh, you know, five athletes that did Ironman last year, all five finished in the top five in their age group. You know, that's, and all five used running power off the bike and, and they said it saved them. You know, they were just amazed at what it meant late in the run, how they were still running and everybody else was walking. Right. So, uh, you know, it, cause I use it as a governor and say, don't go over this value, you know, and if you don't like the pace that you're getting for this value, well, that's on you. You've got to figure out a way to, to make it, you know, more, you know, more to your liking faster or more relaxed or whatever, mm -hmm. um, you know, which makes it more of a mindfulness exercise. It brings the focus back on them and into the process of running rather than just looking at their watch and seeing the pace. Right. Um, so, so, you know, I knew that potential was there. Um, and, you know, and now here we are, you know, I, when I wrote the book, I theorized about a lot of stuff. And I even mentioned, you know, looking at bioelasticity of, of the mu muscle in the lower leg. Mm -hmm. And then here we have a foot pod from stride now, and we're looking at leg spring stiffness. Mm -hmm. I didn't know to call it leg spring stiffness. I just <laughs> called it, you know, hey, I think sometime we're going to have it be able to understand this better. And now we are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's, it's just a better way to assess everything for an athlete biomechanically how they are um it's it's a better way to assess progress it's it's a better pacing and execution tool it's a better uh you know tool for uh, just just even monitoring the progress that they're making and in, in, in how they're training training and now i've even seen it as a way to look at it from i apologize for the garbage truck outside <laughs> um the uh it's a way to look at it from a uh, from a perspective of of even fatigue mm -hmm. now i'm able to look at fatigue and say okay yeah especially so we go back to it we go back to the progressions of workouts you know just because i'm progressing a workout doesn't mean that that's the only load that's increasing on the athlete there's other loads peripherally that are increasing as well especially mm -hmm. in multi-sport Mm -hmm. So now maybe I look and I come back and an athlete may say, 
you know, I wasn't any faster. I can say, okay, true, but and but your watts were actually higher, which means you didn't get you, you're actually your you know the ratio as we call it that uh, I think Coggin calls it uh, running effectiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, I I called it efficiency index in my book. Um, you know, the ability to translate those watts to speed is actually lower. Mm-hmm. That makes sense because now you're actually you're holding higher watts, so you're fitter, but you're carrying fatigue now. Right. More fatigue into this workout. So now I can maybe understand when an athlete says, man, why wasn't that workout better? Or why wasn't that workout this? I can say, mm-hmm. well, according to the numbers, I see a lot more fatigue. Mm-hmm. In you. So, you know, that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to apply fatigue to, in order to gain fitness. So, so I'm able to see deeper into workouts and understand the fatigue level that the athlete is at. Um, and then because of that progression, I, then I can know, okay, if I want them to progress better, I'm going to have to maybe adjust the load coming into this workout because if, if we identify this workout is key for their performance down the road, well, then that's a big confidence building workout. So now I know that I've got to prepare them to rest. And am I giving them the right amount of rest to come into that workout and make it a success? Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, and these are things that I could only guess before. Right. Because all I could do was look at pace. Well, how was the wind? Well, how did you feel? Did you pace it right? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know where now I've got concrete data to actually say, okay, here we are. This is mm-hmm. this this makes sense. So, um, and even and I'll say this, you know, looking at form power relative from course to course, um, you know, how how was this athlete's off the bike at this versus off the bike at this race and their form power? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the times were the same, but this course was a lot harder than this one. So what does that tell us? So, uh, I mean, it, it, there's, there's so many different ways to look at this. Mm-hmm. There's so many new insights that can be gained. Um, and this is, I go back to a daily training attention. You know, are we ready for this next stimulus? Right. Um, and are we, you know, are we carrying too much fatigue? And okay, now we understand, we take it, what do we learn from this workout? Let's apply it to the next, which is the next progression in where we're building towards. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's fantastic. And especially when you put it in the, you know, we're relating it back to just assuming that athlete wants to go out and do that 10 by 400 session because they're training for the 5k. And then they get super disappointed when, you know, their their times are slower. But then you mentioned this great thing about, yeah, your watts are higher, but that fatigue, you know, you have, you have to factor that in. So I think, um, you know, bring that up, bringing up all these points about how you can't necessarily just look at how long it takes you to complete this circuit of distance, even though that's what you've done classically, you have to relate all these factors together. I wanted to ask a little bit more about your situation specifically. You kind of mentioned looking at data after a run or after a race. What is the platform or what's the style that you choose personally as a coach to uh, you know, kind of reflect on this data and then maybe plan things going forward after that. But what is the, uh, you know, the platform of your choosing to be able to view data? Uh, I'm, I'm a today's plan user, 100%. Okay. Um, so for people that don't know that, can you explain a little bit more on why, why you might prefer that and what you kind of look at afterwards, like after a run in a race? Sure. Well, today's plan was a, was a company that started as, a, uh, as an analytics platform for cyclists. Mm-hmm. Um, they have Team Sky and TrekSega Fredo on their platform. Um, and it, when they approached me, uh, you know, 
I was I was at the time trying to get other platforms to adopt more run power metrics, and they were fully willing to say, "Hey, we really we you know we want to come in a multi sport, and you know what do you suggest?" I said, "Well, start with run power." Show what show what you can do with that, and that that'll really change the game. I think so. It certainly has allowed me to to use use running power more effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, monitoring progress, um, tracking you know things, and then like I mentioned earlier, with with the subjective wellness, understanding fatigue and load, and you know, I mean, it, it's. You know, it, and I'll, here I am, I'm the guy that wrote the book on, on running power. And, you know, I still, you know, I, it's taken me this long and I've, I've slowly grown to write a lot more workouts based on running. Mm-hmm. Um, because for the longest time, I wanted to make sure and prove to myself, like, okay, what do I think will happen here? If this, this you know, and testing, testing multiple samples of, of application. Um, so, you know, I do a lot of, lot of tempo work, uh, with, with like my long course athletes at, at certain run wattages mm-hmm. that, that we feel are there. And I go back to reducing training risk, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, okay, why does an athlete need to go and do, you know, six by mile at, you know, at what, you know, at 10 K pace, you know, why not go out and do, you know, four, 10, four or five by 10 minutes at tempo watts, mm-hmm. you know, on maybe a varied course and which is a little bit longer load, but, you know, reduces the risk of the training of the pounding and things like that. And how can we see that go? So these, you know, I, I'm, I'm just a big believer in, in when I can really see and lay things out progression wise and then track those performances over time and really see them much, much better. Uh, it tends to, along with the subjective wellness, along, I mean, the ability that I can say, hey, show me the best peak 10-minute powers for this athlete or 15-minute powers for this athlete, and let's apply the, the sense of performance, objective, subjective measurement on top of that. And then I can see when those happen and how perform there's the athlete's sense of performance coming into that or coming out of those workouts was changed, their perception, their confidence level. And so, because again, it's the whole thing. I can do, I can have the perfect training plan, do everything right in training. If the athlete doesn't believe that they're they're prepared and ready to do well on the start line, it, it doesn't matter. Right. Um, that said, I can say the opposite. I can, I've seen training go not that great, in my opinion. But the athlete just has supreme confidence based on one or two workouts that went well, and boom, they know they're ready, and they they hit it out of the park. So, you know that that to me is the key. How well can I, uh, you know, track that? How well can I uh, look at, you know, metrics like leg spring stiffness to even look and understand in a in a race file, um, lay race file over race file, and say, okay, well, here was your pacing at this race. Here was that one literally directly on top of each other and say, okay, where, where are they? You know, what, what, what went right about this race? What went right about that one? Um, or why was this one way more successful than that one? Those types of things. So, so, uh, so that's, that's why I use it because, you know, technology is great. Data is wonderful, but it's got to have some sort of reference point to always come back to. And, and so much, so often I, I've, I've, I found when I was just using data, which what most of your traditional platforms use, 
I, I, I was finding myself many times wondering, okay, why wasn't this successful? Mm-hmm. And so many times I, you know, I would come back to an athlete and we'd have a conversation. I would be like, I don't know why that wasn't, didn't work. You know, which is frustrating because I'm the coach and I'm supposed to know. And then, oh, Jim, well, you didn't know this, but hey, I'm an alcoholic or my, you know, my company's being sued and, you know, that I own and it's a nightmare and uh, I can deal with, you know, all these lawyers and this and that, or, oh, we have these family crisis right now that we're dealing with that you never would know about. Mm -hmm. Or, hey, you know, you know, the crap hit the fan at work and I just been terrible the last two weeks or, you know, it's something. There's all these things, sickness, that, you know. And so the ability to see that and know, okay, yes, this, now I can get the right stimulus right at the right time. And mm-hmm. then after that, you know, it, of course, what's the biggest, you know, what's the biggest, uh, you know, uh, evidence that it was the right stimulus at the right time? Improvement. <laughs> so, right. so being able to understand and see how all these factors are at play um, is, in my opinion, the the essence of coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to I want to follow up kind of what you were referencing about race planning, and you, you you talk about giving your athletes, you know, during training and racing, it should pretty much be the same thing. You shouldn't switch your whole methodology from one to the other because then you're not going to have as much success, but you give uh, your athletes, you mentioned kind of this, this tempo range to run for a workout. Then you mentioned for a race, you give them this ceiling that you don't want them to go above. You, you give them that kind of upper limit that, Hey, we know based off your training, we shouldn't go above this because you're just not going to have as much success for your specific event. Can you tell just a little bit, give a little bit uh, of basic input about how you might arrive to the conclusion of where an athlete's ceiling might be that upper limit that they might be, um, you know, without looking at anybody's training, are there any strategies that somebody might be able to use in terms of finding that very upper limit that they probably should not go above? Oh, absolutely. I think the first one is, uh, athletes, if they're using, you know, run power, um, you know, just like with a stride, just throw it on your shoe and, and have it record the race. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to watch it the first time, but the data to walk away from that race and know, okay, here it is. This was your number off the bike. Mm-hmm. Here's what you held. Um, and by the way, you know, you were, this was your average, but you were 30 Watts over it to start. And by the end you were, you know, you were 20 Watts below it for a long, longer time at the end. Mm-hmm. It's clear that there's a pacing issue there. Um, so I think the first thing you want to do. So, so I would look at that and say, okay, how is this athlete pacing? Are they really pacing correctly? If they're not, well, let's let's figure out what the average watts were that you know that probably should have been held to. Now let's go out and let's let's do some race specific workouts. Um, and this is just for triathlon, right? Um, you know, I do this a lot with seventy point three work. Um, you know, we'll go and we'll run, we'll we'll do a workout on the bike that's specific, and then they have to come off that and drop and run at at a certain watts. Or what I'd have them do is, okay, you think that you can run this pace off the bike. So let's go do that. Let's go test it. And let's see what the power number says. Mm-hmm. So they go and they do this race-specific bike rehearsal workout. They come off and they try to run, let's say their goal is seven-minute pace. Well, if that, if that ends up being 20 watts higher than what I really think they're capable of, then it's time to have a discussion about, hey, 
uh, you think you can do that. You've never done those watts in a race. So you, you, you're the, in your last race. That's, so that's probably not what, what we're, what we're looking at. Mm -hmm. What I also find kind of go back to it is that, that ability to say, okay, this is your number, stay below it. Um, rather than, you know, and, and if you don't like the pace that you're getting, well, be introspective, go back to the mindfulness of, okay, how can I be faster for these watts? Can I relax more? You know, one of the things I, I like to have my athletes do is listen to their feet. Mm -hmm. You know, if their feet are stomping, chances are that they're heavy or they're not as fast. They need to just be a little lighter, you know, quiet their feet, you know, it gives them something to focus on in the moment rather. And now it's a process rather than a result. Mm -hmm. You know, so many athletes that come off that bike, well, seven minutes, Hey, I hit seven minutes. That's perfect. I'm good. Well, that's a result. That's not, that's not a process. That's not going to help you late in the run. Mm -hmm. You know, you need, you need something to come back to, you know, and like I said, I, I don't have all my athletes to do run walk only, you know, we're coming off the bike. We're doing these, these sessions and we're running 30 to 45 minutes in that range at 70.3 goal pace. Mm -hmm. Okay. So based on that, what, what can you do? I think athletes can do the same in running, you know, especially in half marathon, you know, maybe in some of their marathon tempo runs, you know, okay, well, no, the, these are the watts that I want to, uh, that I want to run at. Um, you know, I think Steve Palladino's got some great, uh, great ones with his, uh, Rigel, uh, formula, or, uh, I forget how he says it. Um, but, uh, it's, it's a really, it's a really good system process for saying, okay, this is what I think I can run, figure out a number and go, go and train at that number. Um, and then, you know, again, go back to tracking the progress. Well, if you're doing a 30 minute tempo at those Watts and it just, you keep getting faster and faster, you're running the same course, you know, session after session in that progression. Well, are you seeing that progress mm -hmm. of pace even for the same Watts? So you know that there's progress. Now you're more excited. And maybe now you feel like, okay, now we're at 30. Now I think we can go to 40 or 45 and, and take the next step. So, so, you know, in, in that capacity, it's, it's, it's all about really, you know, taking what do we think is race specific and how can we simulate that in training to better dial it in. And, and what I've seen is now, uh, you know, like, with, like I go back to consistency of athletes and because we've trained better and now that athlete's more confident in that number, we take the next progression, which is, okay, you ran these Watts last time and we're going to run those Watts plus five. Mm -hmm. uh, now I'm raising your ceiling a little bit. So now the expectation, the excitement of the athlete is, Hey, I think I can do this now. Mm -hmm. I'm excited. I, I'm fitter. I'm more prepared than I was last time. Well, mm -hmm. let's go race, you know, and that's, again, going back to that, the subjective side of, Hey, we're excited. We're on the start line. We're ready to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, th I think that's absolutely fantastic because uh, like you mentioned so many times, people just get super excited. They see that first mile split, see the first two mile splits in a race and they say, okay, I'm, I'm right in line, but then maybe they're not looking at, you know, they're looking at that result, but not the process. I, I think that's fantastic that you mentioned that. Um, I want to ask one last question here. Uh, sure. you, you mentioned about when you were theorizing things, when you, when you were writing the run with power book and you talked about, you know, maybe we'd be able to tell the elasticity of the lower leg. And then all of a sudden, you know, a couple of years later, you have this leg spring stiffness metric that people can look at. Is there anything now 
that you maybe theorize or think in your head, uh, maybe without giving away any secrets or anything uh, that you have, but is there any sort of metric that you'd be really excited for in the future when it comes to incorporating something like a running power meter into training? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Um, so we have a, uh, at today's plan, we have a, I say we, because I am, I should be open and honest. I am contracted with them. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a metric called performance index. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is strictly related to cycling power. Um, what this metric does it was created by, uh, uh, Daniel Green, doctor, I believe it's Dr. Daniel Green, who's, who at the time was working with track. I believe he's with BMC now. Um, so it's, it basically takes the power curve, power duration curve of a, of a cyclist, mm-hmm. uh, relative to their weight or their mass and, and looks at where the strength of the power curve is, uh, relative to the rest and says, okay, this is your strength. Your your lactate tolerance, mm-hmm. you know, long endurance is, would be maybe this athlete strength. And it gives them a score of from zero to a thousand. So zero obviously would be no data. It's not really there. So I've never seen a score of zero. Um, but the, the great thing here is, is that number actually is pretty reflective uh, of what an athlete's capable of performing, mm-hmm. you know, their performance. And it's a very simple number. Mm-hmm. We have these other values like CTL, you know, these long-term stress score averages, which are okay, but they don't really tell you when an athlete's ready to perform. I mean, I can go pound an athlete into the ground. That doesn't mean because I got their CTL high that they're ready to go and win anything. But this is a very simple number. And the higher the number is, the better the athlete is. So what do I foresee? I foresee us taking having a run power performance index mm-hmm. in the future um, where we take, we take, okay, the power curve of the athlete relative to the pace curve of the athlete and their mass and their ability to translate, you know, their Watts to speed mm-hmm. based on that, we can give them a score. Mm-hmm. And, and the great thing, I mean, now it becomes a carrot. Well, we, you know, we know that, you know, and also a retro retrospective uh, value, like, okay, well, when you ran your Olympic trials, marathon time, mm-hmm. qualifying time, you, you're, you know, your, your uh, performance index was 700. Okay, well, and we could say, well, these elite marathoners around the world are at 850, right. you know, or 900, or what, it, you know, I, I'm making up the number because we don't have this yet, but right. I see that being a more, you know, we're very good at looking back. Now we want to look forward and, and say, okay, what is this, based on what this athlete is doing in training, here's truly what the data says they're capable of, mm-hmm. uh, of performing. And now... You know, and I think this would be a great tool for an athlete. Okay, based on where I'm at, what can I really do for a 10K? Mm-hmm. Well, this says this right now is your score, which would for you equates to about this for a 10K, you know, or a 5K or half marathon, so on and so forth. Right. So I really, you know, in, in a sport where like I go to triathlon with long course triathlon, where there's so many variables, um, you know, where can the, you know, that cycling performance index and that run power, you know, performance index, where can they overlap? Could that potentially tell us, you know, where, what's, what's the ability of some of our, some of our athletes. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's, that's been the biggest one that I've seen so far. That's really gotten me thinking about the predictive nature of of performance rather than the, the, the post script 
So. Yeah, no, that, that's fantastic. Um, I'm sure there's probably a lot of other ideas written down on napkins or, 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 or stuff like that uh, around yes. your house and your training environment. Um, but I, I think that's a fantastic answer. Um, that's all the questions I had. I, I'd love to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit more about any, you know, sort of like you mentioned today's plan or, you know, talk about the run with power book or any sort of thing um, that you've contributed to the running with power or how you work with it. If you want to talk about anything else uh, before we end, end the episode. No, no, I, I, I think, uh, you know, athletes and coaches, if they want to reach out to me, you know, I'm happy to, to chat and, uh, you know, I do offer consultations. So I'm, that's available at coachfans.com. They can contact me or, you know, I'm on most of the social media sites. So uh, I'm not a hard guy to find, luckily. <laughs> but uh, no, and I, and I think if uh, if you're an athlete that's, like I say, is is not performing or consistently battling injuries, that's a problem. And that's, so, you know, training doesn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. And I, that's one of my biggest frustrations when I, you know, I look around the coaching world and I see, coaches injuring a lot of athletes and in the name of, well, it's high performance, it's high risk. And it's like, no, your job should be to reduce the risk and still get the performance and with long-term. It's amazing what years of consistency for athletes can do where, you know, when they do get a setback, like a sickness, then that's, you know, that consistency is their insurance policy or they get a freak injury. You know, they sprain their ankle walking down the stairs at home or something. They're able to bounce back quicker. You know, there's only so many variables that you can really control. So controlling the ones you can, especially with regards to training is, is in my mind, the key. So that to me, that's the biggest takeaway I would want your listeners to have is really assessing the training risk that they have so that they can, that, so that they understand, no, not all athletes get injured all the time. That's in fact, that's, that shouldn't be happening. They mm-hmm. should be successful consistently. Yeah, no, fantastic. Um, I want to thank you again for the time. If people have any questions, I'm sure they'll reach out to you and uh, they'll have a lot of curiosities about the run with power book, maybe about today's plan as a platform and they can totally reach out to you for everything. Um, but yeah, thanks again for, for taking the time. We look forward to, uh, everything that you have putting out in terms of the content for the running community and seeing all the athletes bring home more age group titles and uh, wins for the, these major races and everything. So uh, thanks for coming on and uh, we definitely look forward to everything in the future. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yep.